Brett, Angela, last episode, we heard some stories from people who made mistakes by messing around with tech they didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I've got some more stories for you. Of course you do. There are more stories to be told. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be stories to be told for a very long time to come. So part two, huh? Yep. Part two of Our Big Mistakes, That Big of a Deal. Here we go. In today's episode, we're going to hear some more stories of big mistakes, but this time, the people committing them, they mostly knew what they were doing. Oh. Okay. We're going to hear three more stories of mistakes that are about crossed wires and miscommunications more than they are about forging ahead in the dark. Okay. So, with that in mind, let's get to it. Let's do this. This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. We're your hosts. I'm Brent Simino. And I'm Angela Andrews. We're here to break down questions from the tech industry. Big, small, and sometimes strange. Each episode, we go out in search of answers from Red Hatters and people they're connected to. Today's question, we ask once more, are big mistakes that big of a deal? Producer Johan Philippine is here to help us out. All right, so act four. I call this one, it's not my fault. Now, we teased this story at the end of the last episode. The speaker was Chris Kelly. He is a senior software engineer here at Red Hat. And at the time of the story, he had just made the switch from being a researcher to a developer. What does that mean exactly? Well, he earned his PhD And he went into doing some research. And at some point, he decided to move from doing research to actually building things and building software that people would use. That is so cool. And the company that he was working with helped him make that transition. And when he made that transition, he was able to move from a little office where he worked with one other person to a bigger open floor plan office, which is what a lot of developers are a little bit more accustomed to, or at least were in the before times. This transition also included an assigned mentor to help him out if he ran into any issues. Now, for his first assignment as a researcher turned developer, he was asked to write a filter that would prevent illegal characters from being written into a string for database entries. I started off by making a test case for myself. So I wrote a test case where it would strip out all of the illegal file name characters. And the test string was my name and a bunch of garbled illegal characters. And once the test passed, it would strip out all the illegal characters and just leave my name, which I thought was pretty handy. You'd be looking for strings in a long list of logs. You want a string you're familiar with to pick out easily. Your own name is probably the most familiar string you could possibly get. Now, Chris was well-trained. He knew how to tackle the task. And he tested his solution quite thoroughly on a dummy version of the production database. Okay. That way, if he messed up the filter, there'd be no consequences to the actual database of customer data. Makes sense so far, right? Mm-hmm. So far, so good. He was able to finish this task pretty quickly. A couple of hours of poking around, I was able to make this full work. I was pretty happy. It's like, yeah, great. I've got on the scoreboard. So I, I was really happy. Went and made myself a cup of coffee. Excellent. I'll move on to the next task. It worked. 
I have a feeling. (laughs) Plot twist. Yeah, I have a feeling there's a plot twist coming. Feeling a little too confident (laughs) right now. Feeling a little too happy, right? Yeah. Well, it worked, but it worked a little bit too well. Mm. I only realized that something had gone horribly wrong when I got a call from the database admin. But an hour later, he wasn't happy. So in the dummy database, what was supposed to have happened was the illegal characters were supposed to have been stripped out. And what actually happened was instead of the entry, the test entry that I was supposed to have been modifying, being modified, it had modified every entry in the database. There was 750,000 of them and they were all identical. So overwritten 750,000 fields in the database. 750,000 fields? Yep. Mm. And, uh, Pop quiz to see if you were paying attention. What did he overwrite the data with? I'm going to say Chris. His name. (laughs) It was his name. Yeah. (laughs) 750,000 times into the customer database. What? A lot of Chris. Poor Chris. By the time I'd finished, they were all populated with my own name, which was how the database admin knew that it was me who was responsible. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny if he was like, I don't know. Right. If F-ups could just be that clear as to who did what. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine being the database administrator and just like maybe a message comes up that something a little weird's going on and you look in your database and you see the new guy's name. (laughs) Chris, 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 Chris. I feel like if I was Chris, I would just like assume that there was another Chris working in the office and just be like, it was... Uh-huh. Chris. Who's <laughs> the other Chris? Yeah. Uh, I think it may have been his full name, Chris Kelly. Man. Just to, you know, be extra thorough with uh, with the test script. So how could this happen, right? Chris was running his test in the sandbox database, not on the one used in production. He was kind of flabbergasted and, you know, on mm-hmm. the receiving end of some choice words. So he went to find his mentor to figure out, you know, what he had done. And they checked out the code. It all looked really straightforward. They get the database admin to come join them, now calm down after being, quote, extraordinarily angry to try and figure it all out. They comb through the code, and at one point, Chris's mentor realizes what has happened and kind of puts his face in his hand and just like, oh, oh no. So it turned out at some point in the past that the sandbox environments had been configure to point at the production database rather than the sandbox because they were either decommissioning it or moving to another version or something along those lines. I don't remember the exact details, but it had been temporarily set to point at production, which was fine in the sense that they'd taken steps to make sure that it was read-only. However, comma. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) However. (laughs) I'd accidentally taken advantage of a SQL injection vulnerability in the code. So my garbled string had just so happened to include the close quote and comment characters next to each other. So where my query was supposed to go for my test field in the database, do this, it instead had gone, do this, but to everything, rather than do this to my field. Sheesh. Poor Chris. Yeah. I mean, he knew what he was doing and he was trying to do it. He did. In the way that he was taught and something still went wrong. So, you know, he thought he was working with a sandbox environment, but that had been set to point straight to the production environment temporarily. Mm. Not really his fault. 
Not really his fault at all. Yeah. And they'd taken precautions to avoid just this issue by setting it to read-only. Yeah. Yeah. But a SQL injection vulnerability overrode that read-only setting, and Chris's name ended up all over the customer database. Wow. (laughs) That's just bad luck. Okay, so... How do we unring this bell for Chris here? Well, now that they knew what the issue was, they went about fixing it. That was the first take-home lesson. Was you get to the bottom of these sorts of things much quicker if you collaborate with everyone rather than immediately defaulting to finger-pointing and blame analysis and generally trying to prevent yourself from being fired. If everyone just sort of clubs together, you get to the bottom of things quicker. So we were able to remediate this pretty easily, but... The production database gets backed up regularly. We restored it to the most recent backup. Everything was there, no problem. If we'd spent loads of time arguing about it and not getting anywhere, we might have missed that rollback or something like that. Backups, they will they will <laughs> save you. They're going to save the world. Like, having a good backup is how we survive yeah. in this world. Otherwise, we are doomed. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that I'm sort of picking up from part one, you know, is that backups are, like, very important. Yes. Uh Two, also what he was saying about working together really quickly instead of finger-pointing. Yeah. That's a time saver. Yeah. That really is. When you can communicate and trust the folks that you work with, Uh you get things done much quicker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is so important. Uh And it shouldn't be overlooked in this scenario. Yeah, not at all. Well, we're going to move on to the next story. It's also from someone who was new to their career in tech and through a moment of inattention ended up doing more than he expected. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is Act 5. I call it Spacing Out. <laughs> so Xander Soldat, he is a cloud success architect here at Red Hat. But at the time of the story, he was about three to four years into his career as a Linux administrator. And he was working on clearing out some servers so they could redeploy them. Now, he didn't want to completely erase everything on them so that they could save time so they wouldn't have to reinstall everything. They just wanted to erase some of the applications and then remove just enough to get them ready to redeploy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wanted to hurry up a little bit and get it done, so I was a little bit too fast on the old enter button. And before I knew it, I caused myself several hours of extra work. It was a simple rm minus rf, and then the folder was slash opt. But I put a space where it shouldn't be, and it ended up being rm minus rf slash space opt. Wait, what does RM minus RF do? (laughs) Remove. (laughs) So remove, you know, it's a pretty safe command usually. Yeah. But when you go ahead and add the R, which means recursively through all your subfolders, and then the F means force, like don't ask me again. It literally is a death knell. Because he had the space between the forward slash and the word opt, it looked and said, oh, so you want me to remove everything recursively under slash. I got you covered. Yeah. (laughs) So wait, okay, when you do this, and Mm -hmm. we've all done it, when you do this, 
does everything start moving in really slow motion? Like, what happens here? Mm. Well, generally, this command moves pretty quickly, right? When you're doing just like one folder, it lacks super fast, right, Angela? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, Xander was expecting this to be over really quickly and have the terminal come up again and be able to type in another command pretty soon. But when he saw that the server was hanging for a little bit, he figured out something was wrong. It was thinking. Something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah, it was doing the thing. <laughs> Just it was doing it more than what he thought it would. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I hit enter and it took much, well, maybe a, a better second because it, I thought, hey, this is taking a bit longer than it should. And because the opt folder wasn't terribly big, so it shouldn't have taken very long. And that's when I saw the, the, the space and I was like, oh, no. And just like, you know, when in a movie you see the actor having a, that moment of realization and the whole everything around them is, uh, it shrinks. And it's just their, their, their face in the, in the middle of the scene. Well, that's kind of what it felt like at that moment. I felt like <gasps> a bit of a panic attack. Oh, oh, no. He sure did. He knew exactly what he did, and that is a horrible feeling. Yeah. What's a good analogy for, you know, doing an RM-RF on root? It's almost like, what, sitting on a branch and cutting the branch while you're sitting on it? Yeah. (laughs) It's not good. That are you giving someone a haircut and then... Take the clippers and you meant to do it at one setting, but you end up shaving everything off in like a big stripe in the middle of the head. Yeah. Oh. You know, where you took off way more than than you expected to. He took off way more than he expected to. Exactly. Yeah. He trimmed that server just a little bit too much. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. He had the best intentions. Uh, And he did what you were telling Joanna Delaporte to do last episode, too, which was hitting control C as soon as possible. But. By then, the damage had been done. Damage was done. Oh, man. It was time to face the music. (laughs) So what happened? Well, the next step was cursing a little bit to myself and seeing if anyone was watching had seen what I had done. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of like an instinct, I guess. But basically, I had to go to the team lead and say, look, uh, I made a mistake. Server is basically unusable right now. Do we have any backups? And if so, can we restore one? And turned out they did have a backup and we restored it. It wasn't a really a massive major operation to do so, but it was rather frightening because it was basically, it was my first real mistake at work. It took him three to four years to make a real mistake. <laughs> Woo, he must be good. Yeah, right? Impressive. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good track record, right? <laughs> he is pretty good. But yeah, here we are again. Backups. They're the greatest fallback, you know? Backups, backups, backups. I guess they knew somehow that that was a good backup. Maybe they had tested this restore procedure once or twice before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they got their data back, which is amazing. That's really why we back up all the things is so we can recover in the event of this or any other mistake or catastrophe. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite thing about this story is him realizing what had happened 
and then looking around to see if anyone has noticed. <laughs> did y'all see what I just did? It's like you're getting caught, like you did yeah. something wrong, and it's like, oh my God, did anyone see what I just did? Mm-hmm. That's a funny part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poor thing. I feel bad for these folks. <laughs> I feel so bad for them. Well, he learned an important lesson here that a lot of us could really use. Taking your time is great, and double-checking your work even before you do something you've already done dozens of times is always a good idea because that overconfidence can really come back to bite you. All right, I've got one last story for you. This one is all about timing and miscommunication. This is Act 6, and I call it Pedal Off the Metal. It's the 1980s. Christine Caulfield is in her early 20s. She would later become a principal software engineer here at Red Hat. But when we meet her for this story, she's about a year into her first real job. She's working at a commercial apprenticeship with British Aerospace. Working out of a hangar, actually. She was in charge of the office's VAX systems. Ooh, that's a word you don't hear very often anymore. Right? These are some old systems that you don't really see anymore, but they were quite popular back then. Mm -hmm. One of them, one of the larger systems, included an early version of email for their office and also the design software that engineers would use to design and create airplane parts. Mm. Okay. So Christine is working at this aerospace company. They're building planes. Mm -hmm. She's in this airplane hangar. That's right. Okay. She was doing her apprenticeship, and she was in charge of the VAX systems, right? So she didn't necessarily know all that much about airplanes and aircraft manufacturing, but... She was a systems administrator. Exactly. She was administering the system. Okay, cool. They also had another system, another VAX system, separate from the design one that we were just talking about. It's also a VAX system, but... It controlled the computer numerically controlled machines that actually made the aircraft parts on the shop floor. And she abbreviates this as CNC machines. Okay. Okay. When you write a program for a CNC machine, as far as I understand it, you have a cutter and that you program the where that goes on the piece of metal. So you start with a big block of metal, maybe a rectangular block of metal. And then you write a program that tells the machine how to cut bits out of that metal to make into a, a part. A bit like sort of sculpture, but done by a robot, if you like. Or a cre-cut machine. Yeah. For all my crafters out there. <laughs> oh. Just to extend her metaphor a little bit here, think like Michelangelo sculpting David out of marble, right? Yeah. He's taking that block of marble and cutting away everything that wasn't the David. Except in this case, instead of Michelangelo, it's a robot. And instead of a marble human, it's aluminum or other metal aircraft parts. I'm also guessing these are pretty big, too, right? It depends. Some of these parts, you know, they're pretty small. Yeah. And they would be cut pretty quickly within a few minutes. Gotcha. While others, you know, these were these big blocks where it would take, you know, like a whole day to get them done. Okay. On the day of her story, Christine is about to finish up work and head home. So I was in there on my own. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon, I think. And I got a phone call from the um, one of the CAD CAM programmers in their department. They said, can you reboot these facts? And I said, yeah, of course. Because although these, the people in the CAD CAM department were sort of programmers, they didn't have 
privileged access to the computers. That was our domain. And I'd always been told that these people knew what they were doing to some extent. So when someone rang me and said to reboot the machine, you think, yeah, it's a common thing with computers. You turn it off and on again if something goes wrong. So I thought, that's fine. So I logged into the computer and rebooted it, as I was asked. I'm, I'm the sort of person who says, if you ask me to do something, I will go just go and do it, because why, why wait and do it later on when you can get it done and then it's done? All right, job's done, five o'clock rolls around, and she heads home for the day. Right, she did what she was asked, and that was it. Now, I mentioned that Christine was working out of a hangar. Their office was actually above the main hangar and was a pretty open space except for the manager's office. This office was right by the entrance to the open floor and had a, quote, panopticon view of the Goldfish Bowl office so that he could keep an eye on his domain. (laughs) All right, Foucault. (laughs) This meant two things. You had to walk by the office to get in, and it was very visible, impossible to miss. Yeah. The next morning, Christine comes back to the office to work. I came in the morning and I took a walk past the manager's office and there was this large piece of metal in his office. I thought, oh, that's new. I went back to my desk and got on with my job. Now, this was a big piece of metal, right? It was an airline rib about five feet high and three feet wide. Oh, wow. With lots of lugs sticking out of it. It was also aircraft-grade aluminum, so it was very shiny, and it's not really something that you would see in the manager's office. <laughs> Unless he's a collector. I mean, otherwise, why would it be in his office? Mm-hmm. Well, we're about to find out. <laughs> My supervisor called me over a bit later on in the morning and sort of pointed it out and said, did you reboot a vax last night? I said, Yeah. He said, this happened. <laughs> He's pointed to this metal and said, it was busy machining this Airbus rib when you shut it down and it just played havoc with the NC machine. Oh, no. And we scrapped about 40 grams worth of material. Whoa. <gasps> there was a large gash running down, sort of, almost diagonally, like, like when someone slashes a painting in a museum, maybe, you know, that sort of thing. It didn't go all the way through. But it was just a sort of big hole that was not very regular at all. It just in the wrong place. So it turns out that the CAD CAM programmer believes he had asked Christine to reboot it later, but that's not what she heard. Mm. When she rebooted it, it was earlier than the programmer actually intended, and that corrupted the robot sculptor's instructions in the middle of a job. And then rather than continuing to produce the part as instructed or even stopping the sculpting in the middle of the job, it kept on cutting in an unintended line. (laughs) Wow. So this large, expensive piece of metal, which she mentioned was worth 40,000 pounds in the 1980s, which is now more than 150,000 US dollars. Oh, man. After accounting for inflation and all that. Yeah. It's got this huge three-inch gash going across it, making it completely useless. Also remember that the machine shop was in another building, so to do this little piece of theater, the boss had had to transport this big piece of metal quite a ways and then up a floor to display it to the entire office. (laughs) (laughs) Point made, sir. Point made. She didn't lose her job or anything, but it did change how she responded to requests from then on. 
I think the main takeaway from that, and it's something I use almost every day in my job now, is to find out what people really want. When they ask you to do something, what are they actually after? Because sometimes what they think they want is not what they actually want. If you don't know what you're doing, as I didn't at the time, then ask people what they want because they will tell you and you will learn something. If you do know what you're doing, as I mostly do now, still ask people what they want because they will learn something. And you will also learn something too because it might be something you didn't know either. But either way, it's good to actually get into conversations with people about what is actually required because once you start assuming things and taking things at face value, bad things happen as we find out. (laughs) Yeah, it is always a good idea to repeat back what you have heard (laughs) or what you have understood because so much gets lost in translation. So what you're saying is you want me to reboot this server. Yeah, exactly. Now? Now. (laughs) Question mark? Now. (laughs) Yeah. That's great advice, though. It really is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something computers should ask us before we do anything. Sometimes computers do ask us if that's Mm. what we want. Like when Mm -hmm. we're shutting something down and we haven't saved. Mm. Sometimes they do ask. Mm -hmm. But this is not that. (laughs) Yeah. And even when they do check with us, you know, we still make mistakes. So Mm. it's not foolproof by any means. Yeah. I mean, because there are humans (laughs) involved. I'm thinking about these six stories that you've brought to us, Johan, mm-hmm. across both of these episodes. So our question is like, are big mistakes that big of a deal? And I think when you make a mistake, it is mm-hmm. a big deal, you know, like it, it right. looms yeah. emotionally large for you. Like you have this embodied reaction. And then uh-huh. I think it probably looms in your mind for a long time. Uh-huh. But also what I'm hearing you say, Johan, is that it's also not a big deal, right? Yeah, because everyone makes them. Exactly. And most of the time they move on and their career continues, right? It's not going to be something that necessarily ends your career, ends your job, and just has everything crash down around you, right? Even though it may feel that way in the moment, in the long term, especially in the tech industry, you know, there's that capacity to learn from it and to move on. That's the key. But the only way that that happens, though, is if the people around you don't make it into a big deal, right? Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. So your environment matters as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's great when you're able to find a team where you're not expecting them to point fingers and assign blame. You're more working together to fix things when problems arise. You're a much freer contributor Mm -hmm. when you're in a healthy environment Mm -hmm. that knows that, yes, mistakes happen, but we'll work together and we'll figure it out and we'll all learn from them. So... Mistakes happen, but what you learn at the end of them is always an amazing lesson. And I think we've heard that from our guests. Yeah. And then, you know, a few years down the line when it doesn't sting as much, it's a great opportunity for a story to tell. And you can be on a podcast. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Part three. (laughs) Coming at you. So, listeners, we know that you have your F-ups somewhere in your history. If you think real hard, you can look at this episode and say, you know what? 
I've made a mistake, but I've also learned from it. And we want to hear your F-ups. Please share them with us. You can tweet us at Red Hat on Twitter, and you can use the hashtag CompilerPodcast. So let us know. We're really interested in hearing about some of the mistakes you may have made and also how you learned from them. And that does it for the second F-Ups episode of Compiler. Today's episode was produced by Johan Philippine and Caroline Craighead. Victoria Lawton is perfect. Uh, She's never made a mistake in her life. (laughs) Our audio engineer is Christy Chan. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Anchetta. A big thank you to our guests, Xander Soldat, Chris Kelly, and Christine Caulfield. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Laura Barnes, Stephanie Wonderlich, Mike Esser, Claire Allison, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Boo Boo House, Rachel Ertel, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, and Laura Walters. If you like today's episode, go ahead and follow the show. You can rate us, you can leave us a review, and even more importantly, you can share it with someone that you know. It really does help us out. It sure does. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Bye. Hi, I'm Mike Ferris, Chief Strategy Officer. I've been a Red Hatter for about 25 years. And before your episode starts, I want to talk a bit about AI. The hot topic right now is foundation models. And those are important, but at Red Hat, we see them as just a piece of the larger AI infrastructure. And here's what I mean by that. Enterprises are built of hundreds or even thousands of applications. It's not hard to imagine a future in which those applications are being served by hundreds or thousands of models. Without a common platform for your data scientists and developers, without a way to simplify some really complex workflows as you train, tune, serve, and monitor models, it can get overwhelming pretty quickly. And that's why we've built Red Hat OpenShift AI, a platform where everyone is working together on the same page to build and deploy AI models and applications with transparency and control. Find out how at redhat.com. 